0: Hi, I'm Charles Christoph Carter.
1: And I'm his mom, Ellen Carter. We'd like to welcome you to this week's episode of Serial Dreadfuls, your place to find original content covering everything from dark historical fiction to science fiction, horror, adventure, and the supernatural.
0: If you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast provider of choice, thank you. In our last episode, during his meeting with the Towns Board of Selectmen, Joe was given 48 hours to find the killer or lose his job. Without further ado, the next episode of Yard Work, written by Charles and Ellen Carter, narrated by Ellen Carter. Listener discretion is advised.
1: As Joe walked through the station house door with Ronnie Boucher, an angry hunter Langtree sprang from her chair like a caged cat and quickly crossed the floor to confront Joe. I've been sitting here for 20 minutes. What's this all about, Sheriff? I can't afford to be late for work. Why did you send Ronnie over to my house at the crack of dawn? I want to know what's going on. Ronnie, why don't you take Miss Langtree back to that room just across from my office and make her comfortable? Sure thing, Sheriff. Ronnie replied. I'm not going to any goddamn room. I don't want to be made comfortable. I want some answers now, Hunter said, the volume of her voice beginning to rise. Watch your language. I have some things I have to talk over with Eve. If you'll go along with Ronnie, I'll be with you in a moment, Joe said evenly. She glanced down at her watch. And that's just about all I'm going to give you is a moment. Joe looked at her and smiled. Ronnie, take her back, please. He watched as Ronnie guided Hunter through the swinging gate that separated the main office from the back hall that led to Joe's office and the room across from it. Oh, and Ronnie, Joe began. Ronnie turned. Yes, Sheriff? As soon as you've made Miss Langtree comfortable, come back and see me. I have something for you to do. Okay, Sheriff, Ronnie replied. The room Ronnie escorted Hunter into was sparsely furnished. There was a sturdy wooden table with four matching chairs. There was a wastepaper basket in one corner and one window with an old set of yellowed Venetian blinds that were at half-mast. There were two overhead fluorescent lights. One flickered annoyingly. The sheriff will be right with you, Miss Langtree, Ronnie said as he guided her to a chair on the far side of the wooden table. Well, he would better make it pretty damn quick. I'm not going to lose my job because of that asshole. And you can tell him exactly what I just said, Ronnie Boucher. I'll make sure to do just that, Ronnie said as he stepped out of the room and closed the door behind him. Is she comfortable, Ronnie? Joe asked as his deputy returned. Sheriff, I really couldn't say, but I can tell you that she's real angry. She called you an asshole. I think she's afraid she's going to lose her job. Sounds like she's a little hostile. I'd better let her cool down a bit before I speak with her. But Sheriff, all that's going to do is make her even more angry, Ronnie said. And that's exactly what I want. We'll let her sit there and stew for another 15 minutes, Joe said with a half smile. He turned to Eve. Could you get those gloves for me, Eve? Of course, Sheriff. I'll be right back, Eve said, leaving her desk and heading for a locked storage closet on the far side of the station room. Eve returned to her desk and handed him three plastic bags, each with one green glove inside. All three of them are there, Sheriff. I'm assuming that you wanted all three. You assume correctly, Eve, Joe said with a smile as he glanced at his watch. Do you have a large manila envelope, Eve? She handed him the dark brown envelope and he slipped the three bags inside. I'm just going to step into the bathroom for a few minutes. If our guest gets antsy, tell her I'll be right with her. Sheriff, uh, you said you had something for me? Ronnie asked before Joe turned to go. Oh, yes. Could you keep Eve company, Joe replied. Ronnie nodded. Sure, Sheriff. When Joe entered the room where Hunter sat, her arms were folded. She stared at him. She was visibly upset. He sat down across from her and placed the manila envelope on the floor next to him. I'm sorry to have kept you, Miss Langtree. I had some things to attend to. "'I promise I'll have you out of here as quickly as possible. "'I just have to ask you a few questions.' "'What does it matter? I'm already late,' she said angrily, "'turning her head towards the window. "'I didn't have to come down here, you know, and then you make me wait?' "'Again, I'm sorry you had to wait. It was unavoidable.' "'She turned back, her face filled with anger. "'No, you're not.' You're not sorry at all. You know I had no choice. I had to come down here. I couldn't afford to have you come and talk to me at my job. Why do you say that? Because everyone at the mill thinks that Greg killed the Dalton girl, and they all know that Greg and I have been seeing each other. You should see the way they've been looking at me, like I had something to do with it. I just know that they're looking for an excuse to fire me. Having you come down to talk with me on the job might just give them the ammunition they need to do it she said in obvious frustration as she leaned back hard in her chair. Did he? Did he what? Did Vivian kill the girl? Joe asked calmly. He could tell that Hunter was feeling the burden of her connection with a man who very possibly was responsible for a child's gruesome death. You want to know if Greg confessed the whole thing to me? He didn't have to. I already told you that he came home covered in blood the night that little girl was killed. What do you think, she replied hostily. Now, if you don't mind, I have to go. I'm late for work, she said, rising from her chair. Sit down, Miss Langtree. I'm not finished. Tears of frustration began to roll down her cheeks. Exasperated, she shoved her hand into her coat pocket and jerked out a tissue, pulling a single green knit glove with it. She was about to put the glove back in her pocket when Joe stopped her. Can I see that? he asked, pointing at the glove in her hand. She shrugged and handed it to him. He turned the glove over. Handmade, he asked. I know you didn't bring me down here to talk about my knitting, she said, swallowing hard and wiping the tears from her eyes. Do you have the mate? What, she asked, a strange look coming over her face. Do you have the mate to this glove, he repeated. No, I lost it a couple of days ago. Why? He looked at her and then at the glove. He leaned down and picked up the manila envelope and pulled out a small Ziploc bag. He held a small bag up with his left hand. Inside was a green-knit glove. In his right hand, he held the green-knit glove Hunter had just given him. I'd say they're a perfect match, he said, staring at Hunter. There was a shocked look on Hunter's face as she stared at the two gloves. This is your glove, isn't it? he asked. She didn't say a word. She just nodded her head slowly. Where did you lose it? I told you I lost it a couple of days ago. I didn't ask you when. I asked you where. She was silent for a long time. Joe stared at her, wondering how far she was going to allow him to go with this line of questioning before she asked for an attorney. He decided that until she made that request, he was going to continue to probe turn up the heat on her, hoping that she would buckle under the pressure and say something she wasn't intending to say, inadvertently providing him with more damning information about Vivian. Finally, she asked, Where did you find it? He put the gloves on the table and leaned forward. He had to make her believe what he was about to say, but avoid scaring her into asking for an attorney. He was walking a thin line and he knew it. Staring into her eyes, he said, I'm not playing games with you, Hunter. I found it where you dropped it when you stabbed Tim Harvey in the back. You do know Tim Harvey, don't you? She sat there, her eyes wide, her mouth open. Would you like me to go on? You were so angry about what happened at the mill and about Greg getting fired that you waited. How long has it been? A few weeks? It probably took you that long to screw up your courage to follow him home. His voice was methodical as he went over, step by step, what he said she had done. You waited until dark. Somehow you got him to come out of his house. And then you stabbed him in the back. You thought no one would connect you with the attack, but you forgot about his wife. She saw you. Here he was blatantly lying, but he had to make her believe that what he was saying was the truth. That's the way it happened, isn't it, Hunter? And that's when you lost your glove, when you attacked him, he said leaning even further forward, invading her space even more. He could tell by the look on her face that what he was saying in his proximity was starting to intimidate her. With an icy stare, she said, You're crazy! Am I? You forget, I have an eyewitness. She couldn't have seen me because I wasn't there, and I damn sure didn't stab Tim Harvey in the back, she said in exasperation, large tears streaming down her face. Then how did your glove get there? This is your glove, he said coldly. Greg must have taken it by mistake the morning he left my house. All right? What morning was that? You already know it was Thursday. Hunter lowered her head and eyes and turned her head away from him. Listen to me, Hunter. Listen carefully. You're in a lot of trouble. I can arrest you right now for attempted murder. With this glove and an eyewitness, I have a good chance of making it stick. So if you have anything more to tell me, you better tell me now. He waited, and finally she turned back to face him. I already told you that Greg said he was going to get Tim Harvey. He must have taken my glove by mistake and somehow dropped it. Joe sat back in his chair and stared at her. You've got to believe me. I had nothing to do with what happened to Tim Harvey. But why would he have taken your glove by mistake? She hesitated for only a moment before answering. Because I knitted him a pair exactly like mine. Joe leaned down, pulled two more evidence bags from the manila envelope and placed them on the table in front of Hunter. Are these the gloves you knitted for Greg? She leaned forward, picked up each plastic bag, examined both gloves and finally said, Yes. Joe nodded his head slowly. Where is he? I don't know. You want me to believe that he's running around surviving in this cold weather without any help from you? Look, he said he was going to come by in a few days. I was supposed to leave a light on if I thought the house was being watched, and I did, so he never showed. Through the closed door of the small room, Joe heard the angry, near-hysterical voice of a woman yell, Get out of my way, Ronnie Boucher! I'm going to see the sheriff now! Hunter sat up straight in her chair and looked at Joe. Ronnie's voice replied, Sally, he's with someone right now. I know you're upset. We all are. I know how you feel, but if you'll just calm down and sit in his office, I'll get him for you. You don't know how I feel, Ronnie Boucher. My husband's been cut up like some piece of meat and he's lying in the goddamn morgue all because of that bastard Joe Martin. Lyle called and told my mother exactly what Bill told him, Sally said, sobbing. My poor baby. Joe turned and looked at the door. From behind him, where Hunter sat, he heard her say through choked sobs, Bill's dead? My Bill's dead? Oh my God, no! He turned back and looked at Hunter. Her hands lay on either side of her face, her eyes were wide with surprise, vacantly staring through him as if he wasn't there. Tears trickled over her fingers and down her hands. Bill is dead? He looked at her, confused by her reaction. Please tell me Bill's not dead. Hunter said through her sobs. Joe didn't respond. He just looked at her. He saw her stiffen and knew that she realized it was true. From outside, he heard Eve's voice. She was trying to comfort Sally. You really shouldn't be here, Sally. You're just upsetting yourself even more. You need to be with your mother. I've already called her and she's on her way. Is it true what Sally was saying, that Bill was cut up like the Dalton girl? Hunter asked. Again, Joe didn't say anything. He just pressed his lips together and looked at Hunter. She sat back in her chair. I can't believe it. I can't believe it, she said under her breath, tears streaming down her face as she stared at the door. He killed Bill, she said through her sobs. I should have known something was wrong with that crazy bastard that night he came to my house covered in blood. He was so high he could have done anything and not remembered it. Where are his bloody clothes, Joe asked. I told you before, he made me burn them. And now Bill's dead because of him. Oh, what have I done, she said, jumping to her feet, screaming. I only put up with that stupid bastard so I could make Bill jealous, she screamed at the door. Jealous enough to leave a woman he never loved and never would love. He only married Sally because he thought Beatrice Merriweather could give him your job. Before he could respond, the door burst open and Joe jumped to his feet. You lying little whore, Sally screamed as she rushed into the room, Ronnie Boucher hanging onto her winter parka, trying to hold her back. Damn it, Ronnie, get hold of her, Joe shouted as he stepped between Sally and Hunter. He couldn't stand you. He only stayed with you because he thought Beatrice could get him in as sheriff, Hunter screamed, trying to push her way around Joe's body to reach Sally. Her voice turned venomous and vindictive. Every moment he was awake, he thought of me. Every night he worked late, he was with me. He was in my bed just three years after he married you. I was only 16, and he was with me every night, telling me how he couldn't stand making love to you. You're a lying little bitch, Sally screamed. He loved me. You chased after him, you dirty little slut. I didn't chase him. He came to me every chance he got. He took the late shift so he could sleep with me every night while you worked at the inn. He paid for my house and bought me things. He made sure you went without so I could have whatever I wanted. Sally lunged forward, almost slipping out of her coat in an effort to reach Hunter. Ronnie grabbed her by her arms to hold her back. And you kept asking him for a baby. He didn't want to have a baby with you. He wanted me to have his baby, Hunter screamed. God damn it, Ronnie, put her in my office, Joe yelled as he continued to fight to keep Hunter and Sally apart. You're lying. You're lying, Sally screamed. He said he just wanted to wait until he was sheriff before we had kids. That's right. But you weren't going to be the mother. I was. Because once he was sheriff, he was going to divorce your ass, Sally Bannister, Hunter screamed as Ronnie finally pulled Sally out of the room and slammed the door. Sit down, Joe said, catching Hunter by one arm. Not another word from you. Do you understand? There was a note of anger in his voice. Hunter jerked away from him, flopped down in the chair defiantly, leaning forward, tears streaming down her face. Her eyes squinted, her lips curled, her teeth clenched, her hands squeezing the side of the chair so tightly that they had become white. In a low, raspy voice, she glared up at him and said, She deserved every damn word of it. She threw her arms onto the table and let her body fall forward, her arms cradling her head, her body shaking with inconsolable sobs. He watched her, trying to control his own feelings of anger and failing miserably. He would have been lying if he'd said that finding out Bill had taken an underage girl out of her parents' home and set her up in a house of her own without anyone knowing about it hadn't totally flabbergasted him. How had he kept that quiet? What had her parents said about that? Did he threaten him? Had he paid them off? Bill hadn't only deceived him, Bill had deceived a lot of people. Even in death, his lies continued. Since he'd discovered Bill's mutilated body, he had found out more than he wanted to know about him, and what he'd found out was damn ugly. A knock at the door interrupted his thoughts. Eve stuck her head in. She looked at Hunter sobbing at the table and then glanced at Joe. She spoke the way people speak in church, her voice soft, barely above a whisper. "I'm, I'm sorry to disturb you, Sheriff, but I have to talk with you. Joe turned to Hunter and watched her for a few moments and then stepped out into the hallway to join Eve, quietly shutting the door behind him. Sally was in his office across the hall, crying hysterically. Ronnie looked at him through the open doorway as if to say, what am I supposed to do? He motioned for Ronnie to join them. Sheriff, what do you want me to do? Ronnie asked, bewildered. Just keep her company until her mother comes. And keep an eye on Hunter. I don't want her leaving the station. I still have some questions I want to ask her. Ronnie looked from one door to the other and asked, How am I supposed to keep one company and keep an eye on another when all they want to do is scratch each other's eyes out? Be creative, Ronnie. You'll figure something out. Sheriff, it's important. I have to speak with you now, Eve said. He nodded and followed Eve down the hall toward the front of the station. When they had reached the end of the hall and Joe was sure no one could hear them, he stopped and asked, Now, what's so important, Eve? Conrad Hampton is on the phone. He said Greg Vivian's at Tim Harvey's house. I'll take it at your desk, Joe said, gently moving Eve to one side and running the short distance through the swinging gate to her desk. He picked up the phone. Mr. Hampton, this is Sheriff Martin. Is he still there? "Uh, Yes, Sheriff. Uh, I saw him from my kitchen window not two minutes ago. He was walking around the Harvey's living room. He was talking on the phone like he owned the place. I didn't see any sign of Kathy Ann. I don't like it, Sheriff. I'm afraid of what he might have done to her after what he did to that little girl. Conrad Hampton's voice broke. He cleared his throat and added, You know, I I have my gun here, Sheriff. I I could go over there. No, Connie, I don't want you to do that. Don't let him see you. You hold tight and don't leave your house. We're on our way, Joe replied.
0: And now, a preview of our next episode. With the painkillers wearing off, Tim Harvey manages to phone home from his hospital bed. Expecting Kathy Ann to pick up, he's shocked and infuriated when a man's voice comes over the line. Is Tim lucid enough to recognize the man's voice? What will Tim do? please consider joining our Patreon site and becoming a Dreadnought. For only $3 a month, our Dreadnoughts get early access to free episodes, exclusive periodic commentary by the authors of the books and the creators of the podcast, exclusive access to episodes of the second half of each book as those episodes are released, and access to the entire back catalog of episodes as our podcast goes forward. Click the link in the show description now to become a dreadnought and aid in the conversion of the uninitiated masses.